Okay, let's preach the word. Let's do what we're here for. Uh, so again, just want to reference the books by Tozer, A.W. Tozer, The Attributes of God, Volume 1 and 2. This morning we're using The Attributes of God, Volume 2. We're looking at the self-existence of God. And so I want to read a few verses. If you want to turn uh, to it with me, Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 11 through 15. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and I love these verses. And I would imagine whenever you read these verses yourself, either now or afterwards, you'll love them as well. Context of these verses is whenever Moses has been called by God at the burning bush to go back into the nation of Egypt and to rescue the uh, Israelite nation. So that's the context for these verses. And so I'm just going to read through these few verses and then we'll get stuck in. Exodus 3, 11 to 15 says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Anybody following that on their devices or in the actual Bible, you'll notice that that is capitalized. I love the fact that that is capitalized. Remember that now, because we're going to be going back to the fact that that is capitalized before we finish this morning. So let's read that again. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. I am. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So here's God telling us what his name is, and that's important. And again, we'll be, we'll be visiting some of these things as we go through this this morning. And so I am, in the capital letters that you're looking at there, I am means the self-existent one. In other words, God exists within himself, not I will exist at some point in the future, not that I did exist at some point in the past, or even that I exist now, but effectively, I have always existed. That is what the self-existent one means, the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. Now, you and I, I would imagine, I certainly can't get my head around the idea of an infinite God. Our finite minds can't get there. And often I find myself trying to think about how that actually is real. And I'm sure you're like me whenever you try to think what infinity actually looks like. And whenever we think backwards in time for us, remembering that God, time doesn't exist for God. But whenever we go backwards, it's, you just can't get your head around that, can you? That concept that God always was there. And so uh, the human mind just can't get there. I, mine certainly can't anyway. And so the truth is that God is far above us. And that's actually the transcendence of God, and we're going to be talking about that tomorrow. Um, but because God is so far above us, we can actually never understand Him. We may have a, an idea of an understanding. Hopefully, after this weekend, from the teaching that you're receiving from me, you'll have a little bit more of an idea about God. If you read some books, you'll, you'll understand God that bit more. And if you read the Bible, you'll understand that bit more. But the best way to understand and know God is actually through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can reveal God to us if indeed that we seek him. There's a great verse in Jeremiah 29, 13. We're all familiar with 29, 11, aren't we? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But does anybody know what verse 13 says? Verse 13 says that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It's interesting that we always go to the promise of 11. Now, there's nothing wrong going to the promise of 11 because 11 is a very real verse and a verse that I love to read, but very often we miss 13, which is a condition for the promise, okay? So whenever we want to find God, actually we have to seek God with all of our hearts. And if you do not seek God in the way that the Bible talks about, in other words, seeking the face of God rather than the hands of God, seeking what we can do for God, seeking a revelation of God through the Holy Spirit to us, then actually you're only ever going to know about God. And I think it's actually quite sad that there are many Christians who 
And I'm going to say Christians because I'm a big believer in carnal Christianity, not that I'm promoting carnal Christianity, but I believe that it absolutely exists. And I suppose it's my job as a Bible teacher and yours as a believer in Christ to encourage people to step away from the carnality in their lives. But let me, let's take an example of a person just to give you the idea of the difference between knowing about or knowing. And let's pick someone like the Queen, for example. Now, I would imagine even you guys in America, albeit you have only been around for about, America's only been here for 200 years or 300 years or something like that. Don't get offended. It is true. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. Like, you claim that Christopher Columbus discovered you, don't you? Yeah. Well, actually, I have a little bit of a theory. I have a theory that a guy called Brendan from Ireland discovered America. All right? I'm not joking. You might laugh, but I'm actually quite serious. All right? You've heard of St. Patrick? Uh, yeah. You, you actually celebrate St. Patrick more here than, than half the population in the country that I come from. Just saying. All right? And you have to be understand Northern Ireland to understand what I've just said. Everybody's going, what? You don't celebrate St. Patrick? Not in the town that I live in. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't, I'm just saying not in the town that I live in. Um, but the, uh, the fact is that Patrick was the first missionary, the first revival in Ireland in the 400s, a way long time ago. And one of his uh, disciples, this is not a joke by the way, what I'm about to say, uh, one of his disciples was called Brendan, and he became known as Brendan the Navigator. All right, don't, I guess everybody thinking oh, there's a joke coming. There isn't, there isn't a joke coming. This is actually very serious, all right? Now, it hasn't been proved. I'd like to put that out there because I know this is being recorded. Uh, this, what I'm about to tell you, uh, you know, might have been in like Wikipedia or something, I don't know. No, it's been a little bit further researched than that. But this guy, Brendan the Navigator, took the gospel to Iceland, all right? Okay, I think that bit's factually true. And some people believe that he actually went on from Iceland and he discovered the United States of America and brought the gospel to the United States of America. And I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm just, that's just a wee aside there. If you want to research uh, St. Patrick, you may find that information, you may not. Now that I've told you that, forget about it because it won't change your life by lunchtime, I can assure you that. Um, so anyway, if we think about the queen and you all know who the queen is, yeah. Uh, well, Listen, we can read widely about the queen. Yeah, you've probably read about her in your newspapers and your news feeds. You may have seen her on television. Um, you may know some things about her, but you don't actually know her. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, we probably know loads about her. Probably one of the most photographed people on the planet. Probably most columns is written about any person alive is probably the queen. But the only way that you actually would get to know the queen is if you were able to spend every day actually with the queen. Um, for example, the late Prince Philip, who would have been with her every day probably for the majority of the 70 years that they were together, they were together, and he would obviously know everything that the general public would know. For example, what does she eat? Does she have bacon and eggs in the morning? Does she put, I don't know, like syrup on her pancakes? What's that all about? Um, does she put syrup on her bacon? Again, what's that all about? Uh, does she put a scone or a biscuit on the same place, plate as a piece of bacon and an egg? Come on, you just don't even know how to eat over here. You just put everything on the same plate, all right? And so I, I just don't, I never quite understood that. Uh, you gotta, you know, you gotta split it up a little bit, sweet and savory, come on, get with the program. But the idea is, does the queen put it all together as a mashup? What does she watch on television? Does she watch Americans Got Talent? I'm not sure she probably does, because that's probably a futile program anyway. Only joking. Uh, so the point is, what is actually about the queen? We don't obviously know anything about the queen. We don't know what she eats, we don't know what she does, we don't know what she watches on TV, because why? We don't actually know her. So the same is true. The same is true for God. That's the point that I'm trying to make in that, is that you cannot know God just by reading about God in your textbooks and your... Uh, listening to even people like me teaching or discussing and that kind of thing. Yes, we will have an understanding or a further or a deeper understanding of God, and that's good. I'm not saying that that's wrong to learn about God, but as believers, we're only going to truly know God if we have that personal relationship with God. And it's so easy whenever we think and talk and uh, maybe on the surface, 
Some of you have in the room have maybe even been to Bible college or seminary or the likes of that, and it's sad that that becomes a head knowledge. It's sad that it maybe doesn't get any further south than our heads. And so, uh, what I would like to suggest to all of us here this morning is that really we need to know God, and that is done through the power of the Holy Spirit and Him revealing Himself to us. Do you know, God is the great I am. We've already said that. And your greatest challenge and your greatest desire should be get to know Him more. Each and every day that we get out of bed, our desire should be to know God more than when we get out of bed whenever we go back to bed. Would you agree with that? And you know what? It does, it's not just a matter of getting up in the morning and deciding that that's what I'm going to do and actually don't do anything about it. Because it takes that studying the Word of God, it takes that communication with God, it takes that prayer, it takes that worship, it takes that living the life. It's not just a, a head thing. It has to be something much more than that. I want to give you a little bit of personal testimony here. I've been saved for well over 40 years, 40 years, um, I saved as a little boy, grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was an Elam pastor, still is a, a pastor today, albeit he's retired. Um, but I've been brought up going to church my entire life. I've been involved in ministry from a very young age as well. Ministry, I was involved in music ministry. Um, I was very, very busy as a teenager up into my 20s, etc., etc., etc. et, cetera, et, cetera, et and, and I've told you before when I've been speaking at him, that I was maybe kind of busy for God, but not actually knowing God. I even spent a couple of years at Bible college back in the middle of the noughties, and I have to say that even then, it was probably just a head knowledge for me. I was even teaching. I was teaching the Word of God even from that time, and I have to be honest with you, to my shame, it was probably still just a head knowledge for me. But I remember at the start of 2009, God really started to challenge me. And in two, June of 2009, I really felt that I had to get my way and my uh, walk with God sorted out. And it, would have been e it was easy enough for me to say that I was a Christian. I was, doing, I, was, I was doing the work of God. I was involved in church, and I was involved probably in too much, actually. And I wasn't taking the time to get to know God. And I remember in June of 2009, after a period of time in my life where I didn't feel so well for a number of years, and I remember waking up one morning God, and said, I've got to get this sorted out. I've got to get this sorted out. And, and that was 13 years ago. Uh, and, and look, we all have to get to that point in our lives. And if you haven't got to that point in your life, let this be your moment. Let this be the moment before you get down that hill where you think, do you know what? I'm going to get serious about my faith. I am going to spend each and every moment that I've got in my life thinking about God. I'm going to open up my day with God. I'm going to take that time to do that. I'm going to have that quiet time. I'm going to pray. I'm going to study the Word. I'm going to talk to other people about the things of God. And if you take nothing else away from this weekend, you know, this conversation that I'm having with you just now is probably one of the most important things you could ever do. And I often throw out a challenge to people and say, look, if things just don't seem to be going very well for you sometimes, and that, remember we talked last night, things may not go well for you, but how do you feel? when the things are not going well. That's the difference. And I remember whenever I had that period of really difficult time for those few years before 2009, I have to be completely honest with you that I felt completely by myself. I didn't feel God in the midst of anything, but I can only, I can tell you now, I see that the, the day and hour that I woke up and I decided that I was gonna have that very deep and meaningful and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I have to be honest with you that in, in the dark days, and there has been dark days since then, I absolutely know that I know that I know that God is within me. And I can feel the peace of God, even in the quiet night of the soul, even in the dark night, even if I feel my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling sometimes, I know that God is within me. And the challenge for each of us as Christians today is can we actually get to that place where we know, no matter what it is that we're facing, can we know that God is absolutely there with us? And that's not gonna just happen with some sort of an experience. That's not gonna happen if you come forward and get prayer for five minutes. I'm not saying that people shouldn't come forward and get prayer for five minutes or 10 or whatever. It takes a conscious decision on our part to actually get serious, yeah? And if, is there a day like today where we should be serious? <laughs> there is not, there is not. And we talked about that last night. And uh, it doesn't matter how much intelligence, it doesn't matter how much of everything that you've got, but. See if you don't have that manifest Shekinah glory presence of Almighty God evident in your life. People aren't going to want to know what you have to say. They really won't because you need to know. 
You need to know that you have a God, a mighty God that you're serving. And so it's not through our intellect. Our intellect will only take us so far, but it's the Holy Spirit who will reveal God to us. But even then, it's still but a glimmer because God is infinite in every way. But what will it be like whenever you and I stand in heaven, whenever we face the God for the first time, when we gaze into his face and look at his glory for the first time, won't you be glad that you sought God's presence down here then? Won't you? I'm not, maybe, maybe you won't. Maybe that's just me. Uh, no, come on. We got to seek the face of God. We got to seek the presence of God. Now, don't forget. Don't forget that God is three in one, okay? So we're not going to get into teaching on the Trinity here this morning, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Whenever we talk about the attributes of God the Father, you have to see that as the attributes of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit as well. And in fact, Jesus referred to himself as the I am as well in the New Testament. John 8, 58 tells us that Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And again, capitalized in your Bible. And it's just fantastic to know Uh, that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, three in one, and and also, maybe you just haven't thought about it necessarily, but Jesus was there from time began as well. And I love the fact that there's cameo rules throughout the Old Testament where Jesus appeared. Um, And so anyway, God the Father is the I am. God the Son is also the I am. So what exactly does it mean for God to be self-existent or exist within himself? There's a guy called Novation, and Novation said that God has no origin. Now you and I can accept that. I would imagine everybody in the room today, I would imagine that you will accept that God was not created by anything or anybody, but yet God was always there and there was no cause for God. But yet everything in heaven, everything in earth, and everything under the earth will have an origin or a cause, a first cause. If you study apologetics, it talks about first cause or philosophy, but not the Godhead. The Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Holy Spirit always existed. Can you think of anything in existence today that does not have a cause. And it's amazing how we can see all of creation and its glory up here. I just love this place up here because you can see even the stars at night are so clear because we're so far up out of the city and you see the trees and the water and the mountains and everything out there. And yet you and I all know that that was all created. The tree came from a seed and the seed, you know, we can go right back and we're always going to get to some sort of a cause. And we know that the scientists struggle with all of this. We know that they talk about the Big Bang Theory versus obviously what we believe is creation. I want to talk a wee bit about that. Um, Obviously, evolution is something that has been created by the scientists over the last 200 years. For me, it takes a whole lot more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in a creator God. I mean, if you think about evolution just for a second, you think about how an amoeba washed up on a beach and over billions of years thought, I better grow a set of legs so I can walk up this beach. And then over another billion years thought, well, I don't have any arms, I'm not going to be able to eat. Over another billion years creates a couple of arms for itself and and then realizes I need a stomach because I need to eat, and then I need a mouth because I need to get the food out. Come on, it's, it's just tiresome for that wee amoeba, if you think about it. And it took billions of years for that wee amoeba to get its first meal. Come on, that takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? <laughs> now, I have to say, obviously, you would expect me as a Bible teacher and a, 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 someone with my credentials not to believe in evolution, but I have to be honest with you, after my visit to Canada two years ago... <laughs> I'm not going to finish that sentence. (laughs) I would be wrong to say that, wouldn't I? I enjoyed my trip to Canada, guys. I loved it. (laughs) It was cold. It was even cold for me. (laughs) It's cold where I come from. But anyway, what about this Big Bang versus creation? Let's think about that for a second, all right? My son's training to be an astrophysicist, and uh, it's just way over my head whenever he talks about these things, and he spent a couple, I spent, had the opportunity of sitting on a bus with him a couple of weeks ago, going to London, or from London up to the airport, and he decided to explain nuclear fusion to me for two hours, and, and the blank look on my face didn't give him the hint. 
But anyway, he kept talking to me about nuclear fusion and, and uh, gravity and how time goes slower with the closer to a black hole you get and all of this. I don't know what all that means. But the fact is, he was loving that, and, but it got me to think about, obviously, the Big Bang versus creation. And you'll know that the scientists, for those who believe in the Big Bang, that everything somehow was sucked into this black hole. I'm going to try and keep it really simple because I don't understand it in a complex way. Everything was sucked into this black hole, and then all of a sudden it exploded out into what you and I see as the created heavens. Uh, you and I believe that God created something from nothing, so is it actually entirely different? That's my question. They may call it the Big Bang, an expanding universe that came from nothing. You and I may call it creation, but I actually think that scientists are getting closer and closer and closer to actually proving God. That's my view. Uh, and I, I'm actually really pleased that my son has gone into the world of astrophysics, and hopefully that he will be involved in all of that kind of thing of new discoveries as the scientists actually get closer and closer and closer to an intelligent designer. Because uh, I don't think there's too much different about those two things. Now, how did God create light? Here's an interesting thing. So whenever we go back to the first verse of the Bible, because people have this idea of how young our earth is, all right? And this is just a little bit of an aside. Uh, and, and answers in Genesis, I think someone mentioned that, Pastor Bert mentioned that the other, the other night, or someone did, certainly down in the meeting. Great, great thing there to read, uh, Answers in Genesis, gives you a whole idea if you want some answers to be able to talk to your friends. But the, the issue is, and I believe this as well, by the way, the earth that you, as you and I know, is a 6,000 year created earth. That's what I believe. I would imagine most people in the room believe that as well. And I don't have time to get into how all of that works, but verse one of the Bible is interesting because verse one of the Bible and then verse three of the Bible is whenever God creates the earth. So verse one of the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that's when I believe that he created the universe. And we're gonna talk a wee bit more about that tonight, about what the universe looks like and how big it is and all of that kind of thing. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse two says what? That the earth was formless and the spirit of God or the breath of God is actually the word that the Ruach, the Trinity is right there in the first three verses of the Bible. Uh, the breath of God hovered over the deep. And then it says in verse three, and God said, let there be light. And so the interesting thing, if you think about a 6,000 year earth is that light travels six trillion miles in a year. Okay, just go with the mass here for a second. Six trillion miles in a year. So if we're seeing something from potentially 93 billion light years out there, and we'll talk about these numbers tonight because the numbers are crazy whenever you think about the created Earth, or the created universe. But the interesting thing is that we can see light from billions of light years away. So how can we see that if the Earth is 6,000 years old? And so here's what I believe. I, I believe there's one of two choices here if you're giving this answer to your friends and work. One is that God created the heavens and the earth billions of years ago, and then there was a gap in verse two of the Bible, in which case there was time for the light to travel to us on the earth so that we could see it. And then whenever God starts creating the earth in verse three, then that all still fits together for, for a 6,000 year earth. Or, here's an interesting piece, what's the first creative thing that we're told after the universe has been created, and God said, let there be light. So God could have created the light that it had already traveled from all of those distances. Does everybody understand when I say that it takes time for light to travel? Yeah? It's like whenever you're driving a car up in Canada. Uh, it takes a wee while to get there. But anyway, the, uh, so that's just the idea of that created being of God. But it's important for us to realize that God was there prior to all of that, yeah? And whenever we look at what we see, we have to realize that God is the great I am, the uncaused cause, the self-existent one. I just love this because that God that we're talking about is the God who lives inside of you and me. Is the God who we, uh, our, our bodies are the, holy, uh, are the temples of the Holy Spirit and he exists within us. And so whenever we think of God then, how do we think about prayer whenever we think about God? 
And so is prayer to you some sort of a shopping list or a wish list? And again, I'm not having to go at you because whenever we think about prayers, do we think about health? Do we think about wealth? Do we think about the things that we need or even things that other people understand uh, need? And I understand that. I understand that that's how we've been taught to pray. And I understand that whenever we come together and pray together, that usually we are intercessing on someone's uh, behalf. But what about praise? What about praise whenever we look at God, whenever we look at actually how the model prayer starts? And I love the model prayer because the model prayer teaches us actually our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we've been told the name of God this morning is the great I am, the self-existent one, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. So whenever we actually pray, we have to start with the place of recognizing God as the self-existent one. And if we can get to that place of praise, actually, I am a big believer in that things are going to happen for us anyway. You know, very often, even when we praise God and we thank God, we're usually thanking Him for ourselves. But what about praising God for who He is completely unrelated to you? I want to bring a little challenge to you. I remember back, uh, I'm going to say a couple of years ago, now I'm not quite sure of the time frame. I think we were in the COVID at the time. I'm not sure. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. And I remember that I had set time aside to pray about a particular thing. And I'd set a week aside to do that. And I thought, right, I'm going to go. Uh, walking each day, and I'm going to pray about this particular thing, and we'll see how we get on. I remember the first day that I went out for that prayer, I felt challenged by God to just praise Him rather than pray for the particular thing that I was praying about. And so I thought, okay, God, I'll try that. Have you ever tried that? It's actually really hard. See, after about five minutes, you start running out of things to say. Uh, and it's really, really tough and difficult. And But it's I tried my best to stick with it. My walks were usually over an hour, at least an hour each day. And it was really actually quite tiring to actually keep praising God for who God is, looking out at what God has created and all of the things that we can enjoy through creation. Well, here's the thing. As I did that prayer walk, prayer praise, call it whatever, praise walk, call it whatever you will, as the week went by, it got a little bit easier each and every day. And see, by the time my week was over, I was almost not even worried about the thing that I was praying about. But actually, it was amazing how God actually spoke at the end of that week. And there was such a miraculous thing that I, that I saw. And God just brought everything together for me. Now, listen, I'm not trying to say that I have sussed life. I promise you, I have not. I am just trying to teach you the day that whenever we look at the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, that we recognize God as the self-existent one. There's a challenge for you today. If you get a chance, or when you go back home again, walk the lake or walk at home and think, right, I'm just going to praise God for who God is for half an hour. And see, today you're going to find it really difficult. Tomorrow it may not just be so difficult. And you and just keep trying it, and I'm telling you right now, because guess what? God is sovereign. We talked about that last night. God already knows what you need before you ask him. It doesn't mean that you don't ask God for what we need, because we see that in the model prayer as well. Give us this day our daily bread. There's things in there we need to confess, and we need to turn away from our sin. There's stuff that, of course, we have to do, but what about praising God, because God already knows what we need? Remember the last time I was here when we talked about the Holy Spirit that I said that whenever we don't actually know what to pray for, that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. So do you know what? We just get stuck into praise. We just get stuck into worship of Almighty God for who God is, and God knows what we need. God knows and will absolutely give us what it is that we need if he sees that we are actually getting before him and praising him because God is good and God wants to give us good things. And if we ask according to his will, then he will give it to you. Now, that's important, according to his will. I, get, I struggle a little bit with the theology sometimes whenever people talk about this kind of thing, that's saying that if I pray for anything or if two of us pray for the same thing, that God's going to do it. I think I could pray till the cows come home. That's an Irish phrase. I could pray till the cows come home for a red Ferrari to pull up outside that door for me to take with me to Northern Ireland. I would only accept it, by the way, if it was left-hand drive or right-hand drive. What, what size are we on? right? Okay. I would only accept, no. The point I'm making is that would be a nonsense prayer. That's the point. And so whenever we pray for things, we have to actually pray that things are in the will of God for us. 
And whenever we start to focus on that type of a prayer, God's actually not listening. He's not. And it doesn't matter how many people pray. See, I'm telling you right now, see if a hundred of us went over to this corner today, now I'd be the biggest shock person if we opened this door at the end of the service and there's a red Ferrari sitting there. All right, I just want to say that before we go any further. That will be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Particularly if there's a big bow around it and say, this is for Phil to take to Ireland. <laughs> I'm not too sure what that's going to mean. But anyway, if a hundred of us get over to that corner and starts praying for it, you understand the point I'm making that we have to pray in accordance with the will of God as the will of God speaks and as the will of God for us in our lives. And it's actually probably a lot easier just to let the Holy Spirit pray on our behalf. And the point is, yes, we can ask God for things, but let's just Praise God and recognize who God is. Do you know God loves us? God cares for us. The Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God, and that has to be one of the greatest compliments to us. Okay, so what is sin then? So the essence of sin is pride or the independent self, small letter I am. And this is really, really important as well because I don't think people fully understand what the concept of sin is about as well because very often we focus in on the symptoms of sin. Very often we focus in on the do's and don'ts, if you like. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, uh, we, we shouldn't strive for pure, purity. Of course we should. But very often we focus in on the theft or lust or lying or murder and all of those things. And don't don't misunderstand me. Of course, those things are wrong, but those things are just symptoms of the sin of self-righteousness. So whenever you go back to the Garden of Eden and actually look and see what sin actually is, sin was pride because what happened whenever the serpent appeared to Eve, he says, if you eat of that tree over there, you're going to be like God. And that appealed to Eve, that appealed to Adam. And so actually, whenever you look at the condition of sin, it's actually self-righteousness and pride. Everything else is but a symptom of that. And whenever you and I come to the cross and ask for forgiveness of our sin, and Jesus, because he has done it all on the cross, it is his work and his work alone, justification by faith alone, there's nothing that you and I can do to earn salvation in any way. Whenever our sins are covered over by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, it is the condition of sin that is forgiven for us. Yes, we need to come and repent of those things that we do wrong each and every day. And guess what? Yes, there's still a bit of self-righteousness there each and every day. And it's amazing how quick we can slip into the world of self-righteousness. You only have to look at Job. And Job started out not sinning. Tells us that in chapter one and chapter two, but actually before you get to the end of the book of Job, you will see that Job slips big time into self-righteousness. And there's four chapters there towards the end of Job, which I absolutely love. And uh, it's not about your comfort whatsoever. If you want chastised by God, go and read, uh, I think it's chapter 38 to 42 or 38 to 41. There's four chapters there at the end of Job. See a few people nodding their head. And whenever uh, God turns around to Job and says, you're going to take this like a man. Sit there and shut up. That's what he said to Job. He says, you remember all his mates, Job's mates, all his friends, having to go at him, saying, what's wrong with you, Job, all that stuff? And then there's a young man came along, Elihu, and he actually was quite good. He, he was good. Job struggled and got into this place of self-righteousness. And then there's four chapters where God said, you're going to listen to me. And he says to Job, where were you? This is how he speaks. I suppose with an Irish accent. Where were you? Whenever I flung the stars into the sky, read it. It's, it probably would read much better with an Irish accent. <laughs> Where were you when I tamed the Leviathan? Where were you whenever I planted the trees? Where were you? Read it. When the, if you want chastised today, read those four chapters. But those four chapters actually show me how great and mighty Almighty God is. And whenever you see how God can do, can do, can do, can do, can do, and whenever I'm actually sitting there feeling sorry for myself, being self-righteous and saying, God, but I'm a good person. What have I done wrong, God? And God says, it doesn't really matter about your comfort, Phil Scott, whatsoever, because I'm interested in your character. I'm interested in what it is that you're going to do for me whilst you're here on earth. And I'm interested about you preparing for your eternal kingdom and the rewards that you're going to receive after this scene of time. And so whenever we look at sin, the essence of sin is not all of the wee things that we think that sin is, but actually the essence of sin is pride or the independent self, the small I am of self. 
versus the capitalization of I am, which is God Almighty. Man says, I will, I can, I am, and forgets the great I am who is the essence of all life. Man thinks that they can run their own affairs. This is just not people that are out there who are in the world today, but guess what? News for you within the church, we think we can run our own affairs as well, right up until the point in time whenever we run into a brick wall. Yeah? And then when we run into the brick wall, who gets the blame? Who gets the blame? Man says, I can be myself for myself. I don't need God anymore. What does God know? I can take care of my own affairs. And then when things go wrong, God is blamed for our self. That's the battle. God will not tolerate the self of man. God will punish eternally the self of man. Sin is the disease that causes the symptoms that you and I think of as sin. Here's what Tozer says about sin. Tozer says that it's not your temper that is sin. It's something deeper than your temper. It's not your lust that is sin. It's something deeper than that. That's but a symptom. All the crime in the world, all the evil, the robberies, the rapes, the desertions, the assassinations, they're but the eternal manifestations of an inward disease called sin. The problem is self-righteousness. So then the solution of this room this morning, the solution then is to remove ourselves from the throne of our own lives and allow God to rule supreme. I'm talking to both people who are saved here and people who are not yet saved. And so it is possible, would you agree with me, that it's possible even for the believers in the room that we can actually be on the throne of our own lives, running our own lives, making decisions for ourselves. And it doesn't mean that we don't make decisions. That's not what I'm talking about, but our focus is about us. It's so easy, particularly in this day and age that we live in. And you think about even the last two years, how much of a tailspin it's put us all into because we weren't used to something like that. And things aren't gonna get any easier and any better. And so even if believers here, we need to actually take ourselves off the throne. We need to put ourselves back on the altar of God. But if you're in here this morning, and this is the thing that I really wanna focus on in here this morning. If you're in here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your own and personal savior, it would be remiss of us here this weekend and me as the speaker this weekend not to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ as your own and personal savior. John 14, 6 says that Jesus said to him that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There's no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know what? In this day and age that we live in, many people think that we can get to the Father in many different ways. Yeah, people think there, there are many different opportunities through different religions, for example. The Bible's clear. It says that Jesus Christ is the only way. Our good works, what about good works? You know what? The world is full of good works. I've met some really good people, actually. I have to be honest with you that I, very often I've met better people outside the church than inside the church. You've met them too, probably. I've looked at many as a person in life and went, boy, you make a good Christian. Who's, who's seen that? Yeah. How many Christians have you looked at and went, Phew, you're a good heathen. Come on. And I'm careful here not to be pointing because, hey, there's three pointing back at me. There really is. And so it's so easy for us to, as, if, as unbelievers, to think, do you know what? I'm good enough. I had the opportunity a number of times to be down in Hollywood, your Hollywood. We have a Hollywood in Belfast as well. I'm talking about your Hollywood here. I have to be honest with you, and I don't think I'm going to offend anybody here. I don't like Hollywood. I, man, it's, it's a horrible place. I have to be honest with you. It took me three times to work that out. It really did. But I have to say the first time that we've been down was 2010, I think it was. And I've been down a couple of times since. But I've had the opportunity to speak to people down there about God. And I've had the, people, the opportunity. To, I remember Danny uh, where's Danny? Danny and Christy left me in Santa Monica. They just abandoned me for three hours in Santa Monica one day. Do you remember that, Danny? I, I don't know. Danny got waylaid and didn't bother turning back up for me. I nearly missed my flight. But here, I'm not, I, don't, I don't hold it against you, Danny. I mean, in fact, I was planning an In-N-Out burger before I got to the airport, but I couldn't even get an In-N-Out burger because we run out of time. Only joking. I love my time in Santa Monica. But again, I got the opportunity to spend, and look, you guys are 
from this area, you'll know how liberal Santa Monica is. And I had the opportunity to speak to many people in Santa Monica. I've had the opportunity to speak to many people in Hollywood and as well as other parts of the world. But it's really, really interesting because you guys will understand the context of this. The amount of people that I speak to in your country who believe they're going to heaven because they're good people. And I, I probably would suggest that everybody that I spoke to told me the same story. And everybody that I spoke to was very happy for me to pray with them. That's very different than actually the country that I come from. The country that I come from will not talk like that, not necessarily. Probably if you dig deep enough, people will think they're good enough. But it's interesting how many people identify as Christians in your country. Now, if you're in this room, I want to just tell you a couple of wee things about what the Bible says about that very subject. You may very well be a really good person. You may even be a firefighter providing a really good service for the public out there. And that's all really, really good. But the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every last person in this room who can hear my words right now, guess what? We were all born in sin. Every last one of us. And Romans 6, same book, Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of that sin is death. Yeah, death and hell. And by the way, it's not death as in I won't exist any longer. Whenever you read about life and death in the Bible, see it as an eternal existence somewhere. And the eternal existence of death is in a place called hell, eternally in torment. It's not what I say, it's what the Bible says. And whenever we look at life, then that's an eternal place of bliss and life with God in heaven. And I don't believe in this modern day theology that says there's such a thing as total annihilation. Has anybody heard of total annihilation? Total annihilation states that whenever we die, we're judged, we go to hell, and then we die again, and that's it. We, we cease to exist. It's not the Bible that I read. Whenever I get into the book of Revelation, hell is an eternal existence. And remember what I said earlier on there about not being able to understand what eternal actually means? Well, it means a heck of a long time. Yeah, that's the only way I can understand it. And that's, so whenever the Bible says, for the wages of our sin is death, not gone, but an existence in hell. But it also, that verse doesn't stop there because it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in heaven with God through Jesus Christ who died on the cross. Romans 5, 8 says that whilst we were yet sinners, he died for us. And so what happened is, we talked about this earlier on as to how things may have happened before time began, but guess what? God had a plan. And Jesus Christ went to the cross to facilitate that plan. He died in your place and in mine. And all of the sins that we have ever committed or ever will commit, Jesus Christ died on the cross and took your sins upon him. But guess what? The answer is in Romans 9, 9 and 10, or 10, 9 and 10. That all we have to do is confess that Jesus died for us, believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, and the Bible says you will be saved. And all that means, and again, people don't fully understand the concept of this, but you should realize that actually what it is that you're doing is being saved from hell. And we need to understand the concept of that. There was a sermon preached 30 years ago called hell's best kept secret. Anybody familiar with it in the room? Yeah, I can't remember who it was. Can somebody shout me a name? Ray Comfort. Hell's best kept secret. Preached it in the 80s, I think, 84. That's 40 years ago, isn't it? Yeah, almost. Hell's best kept secret. Google it. That's there. You know, there's some interesting stuff in there about the st statistics for the church in America. Back then, in the 80s, and the idea was that they looked at one of the biggest Christian denominations in all of America, and they worked out that if 100 people got saved today in your church, that only 16 of them will be still following the Lord in a year's time. But something like 84% of people will fall away from God in the biggest Christian denomination in your nation. That's a sad statistic, isn't it? And whenever he went in and tried to discover what it was, he actually discovered it's because people didn't know what it was that they were being saved from. And he gave a good analogy. And the analogy that he gave was that if there's two people sitting beside each other on a plane, and we're flying, say, a 10 or 12-hour flight, um, 
And I, we both say Wes and I. Let's use Wes and I as an example. We were flying from London last Friday, a uh, 10 and a half, 11 hour flight, long flight, and both Wes and I, this didn't happen, but this is the analogy that Bray Comfort gives. He says that Wes and I have both been given a parachute, uh, and we wear the parachute, uh, and we're told to wear it for the duration of the journey, 11 hour flight, and we're sitting there, and I'm thinking, so I'm person A, and I'm thinking, oh, this is so uncomfortable. These seats aren't wide enough. I've got a parachute on. This is, I can't eat properly. I can't move properly. This is getting so uncomfortable. Can't see the movies. Can't do whatever it is. And I'm sitting about halfway across the Atlantic. Guess what? I'm going to take the parachute off because I'm not really interested in wearing the parachute. The plane's going. Everything's, everything's going well. But he's not giving up his parachute. Why is he not giving up his parachute? Because the, the pilot came down to him at the start of the flight and says, we've only got enough fuel here for 3,000 miles and your journey 6,000 miles. Guess what? He's not giving up that parachute, is he? Why? Because he knows what he's being saved from. And the point that Ray Comfort was making was that if we don't actually know what it is that we're being saved from, if we don't know what that actually means then we're likely not to go there. And so that's why I'm being really strong in my words here this morning, that if you do not know God, and you and I have all worked in a a career where we know that it's not just old people who die, would you accept that? Yes, the old will die, but the young may die. And we've all been to the kids who have died long before their time. Kids who left the house in great form, great mood, and never come home again. And guess what? In our profession as well, unfortunately, in the dangerous job that we have done, also, we may not come back home again. And I'm not trying to scare you into something here. I'm just trying to paint the reality of what the Word of God says. And if I do not accept Jesus Christ as my own and personal Savior, and I die in that condition, it doesn't matter if I've been like Mother Teresa for my entire life. It doesn't matter if I work endlessly every day to serve people and skid row or whatever it happens to be. It doesn't matter how good we are. We need Jesus in our hearts and it's the only way we can be saved. That's it. There's nothing else. Don't try to create theology out of this. It is simple. Yeah? And if you're here this morning, it would be so remiss of me not to give you the opportunity to respond. And if, if, if uh, Trevor wants to come up and just play behind me, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I promised you last night that you would get the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ this morning. And just as Trevor plays behind me, just when he gets up here, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. I'm not going to ask people to come forward. It's between you and God. I'm just going to explain what it is that you're going to do. It's three simple things. It's three letters. We love acronyms in the fire service, don't we? Yeah, we love particularly three-letter acronyms in the fire service. Just while Trevor's getting ready there, I remember I was actually part of a policy group that wrote, rewrote policy for the, for the UK fire service. Do you know how many three-letter acronyms there are in the fire service in the United Kingdom? 3,000. <laughs> By the time we finished rewriting it, I think we got it down to about 1,800. No, I didn't write it all. Just saying there. That makes me sound really important. I'm not really. I just was the voice from Northern Ireland saying, nope, nope, never work over there. But anyway, three letters, three letters. Admit, A, B, C, they're really easy to remember as well. A, admit that you're a sinner. That's the starting point. Admit that this is you. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. Believe it right here. There's nothing spectacular about this. There's nothing theological about it. It's a simple fact that you just have to believe that that happened. That's it. And if you can believe it here rather than here, the Bible says that you're going to be saved. See is confess. Tell someone. Tell someone. And I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. I I do not want to go down this hill and not give someone the opportunity to give their life to Jesus. So let's bow their heads so that we can respect the people around us. And all I'm going to ask for is a show of hands or someone look straight. Make sure I know that that's what you're doing. And all I'm going to do is say a general prayer that you can say after me into yourself. And then we'll, we'll meet with you later if you want. And we'll pray with you or you'll talk to the friends that you're with. Whatever, whatever is most comfortable for you. And so just as I'm looking around the room now, look towards me. And I'm going to give this a moment or two because I do not want to miss this moment. And as I look around the room, just make sure I know 
So raise a, as I look towards you, raise a hand or just nod in my direction so I know that you're giving your life to Jesus for the very first time. At the minute I'm looking to my right, your left, anybody in this block of seats here? I'm still, I'm still looking to my right, your left. Anybody over at the far side there? No? Don't miss this moment. I'm looking now to my left. You're right. I don't want to miss anybody. Just look up at me. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. No. I'm just looking across the whole room once again. You know, as firefighters, we do our primary search and our secondary search. I suppose what I've just done there is the primary search. Jude, verse 23 says, to snatch others from the fire and save them. And I suppose as firefighters, we both, we fight both types of fire. Today, my job, our job in here is to fight spiritual fire and give you the opportunity to respond. That was the primary search. And I'm coming in now for the secondary search just to make sure that we check every nook and cranny to make sure that if someone wants to give their lives to Jesus, that they get that opportunity right here, right now. And I'm looking across the building one more time. Anybody? No. Do you know what? It's God's grace that saves. And see if you have been convicted. See if you feel that that's something that you want to do. Grab me over the next day or so that we're here. Or any of the leaders that you know from whom. Or any of the Firefighters Christ leaders that you know. And just, or people that have come with you, whatever it happens to be. And don't go down this hill without giving your life to Jesus Christ. You know, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Can we stand and pray before I hand back to the worship team? Do you know what, if you can, if you can, raise your hands to heaven. Don't feel that you have to, but just if you can. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you have saved us, Lord. We thank you that you have called us, Lord. We thank you that we have an opportunity to serve you each and every day. Lord, help us to remember that you are the self-existent one, the great I am. And Lord, that you are powerful and that you have always been and always will be. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that in this room, if anybody who does not yet know you as their own and personal Savior, that they will not leave this mountain without getting right with you. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that even in the quietness of their heart as they leave this building, that I will say to you, that they, God, that they know that they're a sinner, they believe that you died on the cross for them, and that they want you to come into their heart forever. And if that's you, talk to us. But Lord, I just thank you that your son indeed did die for us on the cross. And help us even as Christians never to neglect that fact. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Keep us safe today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.